And I've realized um, in many cases, uh, the decision makers uh, are the ones that are setting up teachers to fail. Um, and, and they do that by budgeting, you know, $5 million to give every student a device, uh, but they neglect to budget for training and professional development. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start It Up podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. Today, I have on Eric Padnodes. Eric is the Director of Strategic Initiatives at Otis. He's also a former education strategist at CGW and all-around good guy. I've known Eric for quite some time, and uh, this guy has been concerned about pedagogy and over-tech use for some time. And I knew I was going to get into one of these epic, great conversations because Eric is a deep, deep thinker. So uh, I know you're going to enjoy this one. And frankly, he's also going to be at ISTE. For those people heading out to ISTE, he will be there. So I recommend you connect with him there in person as well. But other than that, we get into some uncomfortable conversations and topics as well, because, uh, well, education may need to um, push the boundaries a little bit. And so we have kind of a talk on people that are trying to have that discord and, and how that's turning out. And also just other fun conversations as well. So enjoy this one. Take some notes and enjoy Eric Pad Notes. All right. I'm now joined with Eric Pat Notes. He is the Director of Strategic Initiatives at Otis. And we've been friends for quite a while. And I really, I'm going to get into your whole mission. Because like, you, you were claiming no app for pedagogy and use it as a tool before it was cool, Eric. But uh, let me just welcome you to the show. Thanks for having me, Don. Uh, I have had fun watching you from afar, and I'm glad to have the opportunity. Yeah. So I, we met, gosh, I think it's been seven or eight years ago now, and, and we've kept in contact. But I got to admit, you were among the first that as the new wave of, oh, my gosh, it's technology. This is awesome. You were the first, uh, or at least among the first to say, okay, wait, wait, wait. All these tech tools are cool, but what's the purpose? Um, so kind of... <laughs> When did, when did that occur to you? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was falling victim to the shiny object. What made you the, <laughs> what made you yeah. the cynic? Yeah, well, it's easy to do. Um, and, and I think I remember the first time we talked about it was in Barcelona at the Microsoft Global Forum. Um, you know, the, the, I honestly, when I first went back to school to be a teacher, um, not a lot of people know, but I had a, a career as a commodities trader at the Chicago Board of Trade. I worked down there for about seven years before I went back to school to get my degree. And when I um, was going back to school, it's actually, it's pretty funny. Um, I had to ask my wife how to attach a paper to an email uh, for an assignment at one point when I was going back to school. And I was very anti-technology uh, when I was uh, going to school. And I thought that education had to be um, something experiential, uh, something that kids, uh, you know, they were learning with their hands, they're interacting with, you know, actual people in the community. And, and at the time when I was getting my degree, I uh, was really worried that technology was going to somehow uh, remove the, the authenticity and relevancy uh, of education. And then when I realized the power that it had, 
to actually amplify the things that I was so passionate about in education in the first place. That's when I fell in love with, with technology. And then I graduated, I got into the field, and I saw how enamored everyone was with the shiny, flashy tool. And I just thought to myself, no, 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 this is, this is all wrong. Um, it, it's like I said, it's an amplifier. Um, it's not the, you know, the goal in and of itself. Yeah. And so we've seen now, and it's, I'm going to say fashionable, but it's become like more acceptable to start questioning these things. Cause we, we've seen a lot of the schools that bought a lot of these tools and now they've got a lot of tools that have broken down or they weren't used or that they're admitting defeat. Like, yeah, I don't know why we bought that, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, where's that transition? Should they start, you know, should the average teacher start dusting those off and think of creative ways or should they just started, uh, should they start doubling down on the creativity first and see if they can find, I, I guess what I'm asking is, should they start re examining the tools to start using them or should they start at ground zero and start thinking of, you know, ways to be, creative and innovative first and then see if they use them. Yeah. The whole chicken or the egg. Right. And, and it's kind of been like that for a long time. Um, I, I, I first and foremost want to give teachers all the credit in the world because um, they are, are just being put through the ringer these days with all these initiatives, um, new technology. Uh, students are becoming more challenging uh, than they probably ever have been. And, and I wish you know, I, I used to focus a lot of my energy on, on the teachers around this conversation around uh, technology or pedagogy first. And I've realized um, in many cases, uh, the decision makers uh, are the ones that are setting up teachers to fail. Um, and they do that by budgeting, you know, $5 million to give every student a device uh, but they neglect to budget for training and professional development teachers. And, um, and, and I say training and professional development um, intentionally. Um, I know there's, you know, some debate if it's professional development or professional learning. I get that, you know, no one's developed. Everyone um, has professional learning opportunities. That's besides the point. Training is um, what buttons do I push? on the computer to get it to do what I want it to do. So, it, you know, so many schools, they give eight hours of Google Apps training, and all it is is what buttons do you push in Google Apps to get a Google Doc to go to Google Classroom, to go to, uh, to their email, and then copy and paste into a Google Slide. Um, but there's no conversation about pedagogy at any point in that day. And so the, the, the idea that, you know, we're spending uh, literally millions of dollars on technology um, without giving teachers the supports, I, I can't, I don't even know if it's really something that we can recommend to teachers. I mean, I, I personally have always taken the approach of um, start with your goal. What are you trying to accomplish from like, you know, your curriculum perspective? Um, what are the skills you want your students to learn? And then, and only then, do you find the tool, the technology tool that's going to uh, amplify your ability uh, to meet those educational outcomes. Um, I think that more times than not is going to yield the best results because so many educators say, well, you know, I'm drowning in an oversaturated ocean of ed tech. How do I know which tools to use? And I think 
when we're lost in the, in that ocean, it's because we're focusing on the tool and not the learning outcome itself. The, the analogy I always like to use is that, you know, very few people go to Home Depot and buy 30 tools and then they go home and say, hmm, what am I going to build? That's a great metaphor. I, I like that. First of all, I like the fact that you said you started off the right way. Teachers are inundated with these you know, hey, we bought this. Now, what are you going to do with it? And then they feel stressed. And and by no by no means is that a, you know all teachers, but you're right. Several teachers are doing that. But I like that certain metaphor because you're right. Like, just because there's 30 apps out there right now doesn't mean we need to run to the Home Depot and buy all of them, so to speak. Um, but there is this kind of pressure among a lot of people that you do need to have this latest hack, this latest tip, this latest thing. And, uh, and, I, and it takes guys like you, and I appreciate you, to step back and go, okay, why? <laughs> why? You know, if, if you are doing this lesson and you need this Google tool or you need this Apple tool or whatever, fine, great. But just for the sake of pressure of wanting to keep up with it, you, you, you can let go a little bit. You don't have to be possessing all 30 tools as you're talking about. Totally agree. And, and I think that comes back to the administration in a school district that creates a culture uh, and um, has clearly defined expectations for their teachers. Um, one of the most, one of my favorite questions to ask when I was working um, as an education strategist at CDW, I would, I would say to a principal of a building, you know, when you go in to evaluate a teacher, um, is there an expectation that they're using technology or do you just want to see good teaching? And I'd say about nine times out of 10, they would say, I want to see good teaching. And then I'd ask teachers in that exact same building, the, the exact same question, when your principal comes to evaluate you, is there an expectation uh, to be using technology? And they would say, absolutely. We have to use technology. This is a one-to-one -one initiative. They bought computers for everyone and we are using technology in our classrooms. So there would be a, a major disconnect uh, between the expectations of the administration. Yeah. Yeah, let me play on your metaphor even more then. You know, <laughs> I like that because you have this expectation like, uh, okay, so full disclosure, my wife is more the handy one in our household. She ends up buying a table saw and she buys a table saw for like two or three projects. And she'll probably use it again, maybe here in another six months to a year, but she doesn't feel the pressure to use a table saw every day. Like she's not ripping out drywall for the sake of using it because she's got a table saw. She'll right. use it. She'll use it. Sorry. I keep, I like the home Depot metaphor so much. I'm going to keep, but, 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 but I, 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 I understand that. Like some of the people might say, Hey, we're out, boy, they spent money on this technology. We better use it. Well, what are you using on? I don't know, but I'll invent something. You, know, you don't need to rip up the drywall and the studs just because they, they have the, the tools. Um, use them when you need them, but uh, don't always break out with them. So you, you mentioned earlier, and I, I think we should address this, um, when you said when I was with CDW and now you're with at Otis, you have been supporting education. Uh, explain kind of what your role has been for the last 10 years. Sure. So, so I started out as a special education teacher. Um, then our district went one-to-one, -one, became an instructional technologist, focused a lot of my own uh, growth, uh, professional growth on the Microsoft uh, ecosystem because we were one-to-one -one, uh, with Windows and, and then uh, went to Barcelona and that's when, when you and I met. 
Um, the time, and then right when I got back, I uh, was offered a position at CDW. Uh, for those who don't know, CDW is the leading uh, reseller of devices in the United States. Uh, to give you an idea, they, they sold a little over 2.5 million devices last year. And um, what CDW was seeing uh, about five years ago was that they were selling a ton of devices, but mm, for the most part, devices were being used for testing um, or were collecting dust, to be totally honest. And they said, well, that's, you know, not only is that not good for kids, uh, that's really bad for our business. If we, you know, want to be able to sell more devices, uh, we need to help schools be more successful. So for the last four years, I traveled around the United States working with, um, the customers at CDW trying to ensure uh, that when they were purchasing uh, any number of devices at CDW, that they're also thinking about the bigger picture uh, that needs to be in place, meaning, you know, the professional development, the training, the culture change, um, creating an environment where teachers feel empowered uh, to take risks. And, 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 and how do you do that? You know, um, so I, I would try to empower them uh, for success. And now that I'm at Otis, um, Otis is a, well, let me say this. Let me, let me back up. So um, today uh, we're talking about all these tools, right? And I'd say um, most districts we use anywhere from six to eight um, different and uh, disconnected platforms for a variety of reasons. One might be uh, for parent communications. Another one might be for behavior management. Um, then there's maybe an LMS, uh, factor in a data warehouse, uh, you have data analytics, you have a student uh, portfolio, uh, so on and so forth. You get the idea. Well, the problem is uh, these disconnected platforms don't talk to each other. And interoperability uh, if it is uh, a word that a lot of educators probably don't know right now, but I think will become... Uh, very familiar with in the next year to two year or two because um, the lack of interoperability means that you cannot pull data from uh, each of those eight different platforms and aggregate it in a way that tells a holistic story uh, about your students. And so, what Otis did, um, you know, it was founded on the idea uh, actually that a district went one to one with iPads. And there was a teacher who said, this sucks. Like, you know, these things don't talk to each other. Kids can't access the information. It's just, it, it's not seamless and it's not working for us. And so um, they built Otis from the ground up to have the exact same features and functionality of those uh, six to eight, for example, uh, you know, disconnected platforms. They're all built into Otis. And then that way, any parent communication, any behavior problems, um, you know, or, you know, maybe it's positive behavior too. Um, your data warehouse, your analytics, all those things, they all are in one place. And then there's also a social emotional uh, component to it as well. So that you have this beautiful holistic picture of each student in your class and it really lends itself well to, um, standards-based grading or, or, or even personalized learning. So, so uh, at Otis, then I'm, you know, working on um, finding interesting partnership opportunities, as well as uh, doing some work with channel sales and marketing.
one of the things that we've kind of connected over is you and I have the same kind of reverence for some of the people outside of education sounding the alarms inside education um, and seeing that you are like literally at in both worlds. Um, give some suggestions to people on um, who they should be listening to uh, that, that are probably, I don't want to say underappreciated, but names they may not have heard of, but daggone it, they should. Yeah, <clears throat> that's an interesting question. Um, so, I mean, for full disclosure, that's exactly why I started this podcast. Like, I, yeah. I, there, I was, I, we were getting these kind of some conversations with people, and then I was like, oh, we got the chance to talk to so-and-so today, and they're like, who's that? And I'm like, you're, you're, you're kidding. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, I right. mean, you're a well-versed guy and a well-read guy, so throw out some names that people should be like, ooh, I'll check that guy out. Or, I'm yeah. sorry, when I say guy, I mean – uh, also the team sure. of the world too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so one that I'm always shocked that more people don't know of, um, is Sir Ken Robinson. Um, I, I wish more people were, were more familiar with his work. Um, I also like, um, Michael Horn, uh, formerly of the Clayton Christensen Institute. Um, I forget exactly who he's, uh, working with these days, but he does a lot of work on blended learning. Um, Richard Collada, uh, formerly of the Office of Ed Tech, now the, the CEO at ISTE, um, super, super smart guy. Um, uh, um, uh, Alfie Cohn is, is one of my favorites. Um, um, uh, oh, you know this guy, the guy, uh, Tony Wagner. Um, I really like Tony Wagner's work. Um, I, I lately have been learning a lot about emotional intelligence over the last couple of years. And so Daniel Goleman, um, I'm a huge fan of of the work of Daniel Goleman. He literally wrote the book on emotional intelligence and there's some some work, um, some of his work that I think if more educators knew about, they would be fighting tooth and nail to get emotional intelligence, um, built into the curriculum. Um, um, uh, her name's escaping me. Um, oh, Leanne Young, uh, for standards-based grading is amazing. Um, she's doing some brilliant work. She, she presents all over the world. Uh, Lisa Westman, uh, just wrote a book on differentiation. Um, super, super talented and smart person to follow. Um, I mean, I could, Go on for a while. Well, yeah, we talked not too long ago about um, how, like, Ray Kurzweil has been sounding the alarms, and Ray's not really in education, but Ray's also been eerily accurate about some things in the well, what are what is now the present day, and he's been calling some of the shots on what is the next two to three to five years out. Weigh in a little bit on Kurzweil. Yeah, so so um, Ray Kurzweil is the futurist at Google. Uh, for those not familiar with his work, um, they um, they basically told him they said, "Hey Ray, uh, you have an unlimited budget. Just go do whatever you want. Figure out what's happening. You know, twenty, thirty, fifty, hundred years down the road, and just check in with us every once in a while." Um, he's a theoretical physicist, and um, I love um, the, reading about his his past predictions and his and his um, his future predictions. Um, in fact, um, he wrote a book in the early 1990s called The Age of Spiritual Machines, where um, what he did was he made 
um, predictions for technology by uh, the year um, 2009. He made 147 predictions and get this, he was correct on 127 of those predictions or 86%, right? And so he talked about things like, well, we'll be reading on phone on a phone that has a screen where you'll be swiping you know, up and down or left or right to be able to read. Um, he talked about autonomous vehicles. Um, he talked about, um, you know, Wi-Fi. He talked about all these like things that in 1990, if, if somebody would have told you that that was going to happen, you would have looked at them like they were crazy. Right. But he was correct on 86 percent uh, of these predictions. Yeah. And, and not the, so, and not the kind of like Looney Tunes, we're going to be in flying cars, kind of bold wacky predictions but like things that are like really really practical actually and help me if i'm wrong boy i'm gonna feel stupid but wasn't he kind of um an advisor when they were making minority report oh i don't know i'm trying to remember and i could google it right here on when i'm doing this live but i remember like some of the people that were on the staff because you know looking back minority report is getting like eerily like, we're there in a right? lot of cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, sure. and for some reason, or, or I think Kurzweil was on that. Th- think about um, Black Mirror. I bring that up all the time. Oh, gosh. And then, yeah, the Chinese. Oh, yeah. You go into that. Because that was, yeah. I know exactly which episode you're talking about. And it freaked me out. Yeah. So there's an episode of Black Mirror where the, so even the, to get a loan or get a condo in like an exclusive type community, you have to have a certain level um, uh, social rating. And it seems completely bonkers. Like how could anybody possibly live like this? And then a couple of months later uh, you see all over the news that China is imposing the same kind of social currency um, in their country. And so, you know, these, these seemingly far out technologies are, are not nearly as far out as we think. Yeah. That episode freaked me out is because, you see somebody that was like, well, heck, you saw a society that would put on this fake plastic smile because they wanted a good like and they want to get a rating. So like, no one really liked each other, but everybody treated each other with like this false civility and it was just awkward to watch. And then when she just implodes on herself, you, you're like, but the thing is, Eric, like I see this with teens. They, they don't like each other, but they're condescending. Yeah, it was weird. Is frightening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. And every time like somebody like blows up on Twitter about something, like a celebrity or whoever, like Roseanne, she just left Twitter because of the whole thing that happened, you know, with her. Um, because she just went off the wall, off the rails, and said something completely inappropriate. Next thing you know, now she's she's done. She's off Twitter. She's on yeah. Yeah, with great power comes great responsibility on, on online. And I guess the last thing we're going to talk about is that you and I have talked several times that um, there's you know, Twitter and social media has brought out the best in education and it's brought out the worst at times in education. Um, we've both kind of talked privately and hey, now we're going to have a public conversation. Some of the, in some ways, some of the... Um, things that we're talking about of all hail the technology uh, was both good and bad. What are some, what are some trends that you see coming down the pike through the social media circles that should be celebrated 
And let's just say, what's another thing that needs to be put to rest? Well, let me say this. As much as I love uh, Twitter chats and what, what they could potentially be, so many times lately it feels like it's just bringing sand to the beach. Um, it, Twitter's becoming more and more of an echo chamber. And um, as long as there's always new teachers getting on Twitter uh, to use it to continue to grow and explore and connect, you know, I guess, I guess that would explain probably a lot of it. Um, but, but I, I do, I do wish that there was, there was more, you know, I, I definitely don't have the answer for what that would look like. Um, but there's, there's sometimes where it feels like we're, we're almost holding ourselves back because we're saying it's okay to not know something. Um, it's, it's okay to, to learn. And I agree with it to an extent. Um, but there, there's also the other side of it where in, in most other industries in the world, um, you know, there's, they're, they're not, you know, doctors are not waiting, uh, for, uh, the hospital to give them professional development on a new virus so they can go out and treat it. Um, lawyers are not waiting for their law firm to give them professional development uh, on a new law that has just been passed. Um, there's a certain amount of, of professional accountability uh, that comes along with any uh, any career, any industry. And, and I'm afraid that, you know, just some of the rhetoric on Twitter, while it wants to be super supportive and we want to give people a chance, there's also an element that sometimes it just feels like we need to rip the bandaid off and have a serious conversation about what's not working so that we can start making positive changes now. Um, our kids don't have time to wait for teachers to get better at this stuff. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. And so, you know, all due respect to, to underpaid, overworked educators. Um, the problem is definitely systematic. And, and, and I guess in terms of social media and, and whether or not it's helping or hurting, um, I, I guess the answer is I think it's doing a little bit of both. Yeah, I echo the sentiments. I like, um, there was this little... And I just I'm, this is almost a, a weekly occurrence, but there was a there was a couple spats that I saw last week, and one person was being critical of education just adapting, and so there were some people like, "How dare you throw teachers under the bus?" And he's like, "I'm not. I'm just saying systematically we need to do these things." Well, how dare you, sir? And the guy was like saying, "Hey, look, this toxic positivity of you know, hooray kids and kids rule and kids should learn." While those are nice, upbeat things, he's this particular person. Actually, he wasn't even from the U.S., he was from Belgium. He was like, can we at least have a civil discourse of just because you're questioning something in education doesn't mean that you're anti-teacher and doesn't mean that in the, the hooray, every kid needs a hero talk, which is valid. He, he just was like, can we move? You know, it's, it's been established. Kids need the positivity. Can, but can we have a nice civil discourse on things that may be uncomfortable? And um, I, I, I think that at several times, you, like you said, it's that echo chamber that the first person that says, hey, this is all well and good. Can we move on from this? Oh, you're just being anti-teacher. Um, it's not the case. We, we just need a healthy civil discussion because like the names you brought up, people like Sir Ken, people like 
you know, Ray and all these other people. There, well, heck, one of my favorites, you know, Gary. Gary's not nice about education. Vaynerchuk has been pretty opinionated. It doesn't mean that he hates teachers. It means that, you know, they, we need to have these discussions and sometimes they're not nice, but uh, we need to have them nonetheless. Totally, totally agree. Uh, Seth Godin's another uh, name that comes to mind. Um, brilliant guy, um, definitely opinionated about education. And uh, sometimes I wish there was just more conviction, uh, more opinions and uh, less uh, walking on eggshells around educators because we're afraid to have a strong opinion and afraid um, that we might hurt somebody's feelings, uh, even though um, those, some of those ideas could very well help move us in the right direction. And those very good ideas get, get held back um, because of the need to walk on eggshells around uh, some people in education. So I agree. Eric, so God, I, first of all, I appreciate you being on. Um, but guys, this is a person that is living in both worlds. And, and uh, I think that Eric's a great resource. Uh, he's pretty prolific. He's got a blog, um, which I'll have you talk about here in a second. But um, should there be some people out there like, okay, I want to pick this guy's brain. Where can they find you and some of your work? Yeah, Twitter, uh, please. Uh, it's the easiest uh, way to get in touch with me. And um, probably most manageable for me uh, to reply to folks. And uh, it, other than that, um, because I'm in this kind of transitional phase uh, from an old job to a new, I'm still um, kind of working out, you know, anywhere else that you might be able to easily find me online. Um, so I'd say for, for the time being, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, kind of the usual social channels are, are really easy to get a hold of me there. All right, very good. Well, Eric, as always, man, I, 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 I like the fact that um, <laughs> you, you, were, you were pressing on some of these questions that are now really some, starting to come to light. And I've always appreciated uh, getting your feedback and bouncing things off you and wanted to have a public discussion so we, people can kind of like hear you think out loud and, and sincerely appreciate it. And, and again, I hope that uh, if you guys are listening, that you take Eric up on his offer and, uh, you know, get with him and, and start talking because I, I think that he's been a really valuable resource in in both worlds so eric from the bottom of heart man appreciate you uh being on yeah thanks for the kind words and uh, i had a lot of fun don so uh, hopefully i'll see you again soon all right thanks eric there you go eric Padnos again he'll be out at otis booth at isti make sure you find him also the way we find great guests like this is that you guys give us some recommendations either on our Facebook page, that's facebook.com slash startedup, or just, just give me an email directly, don at startedupinnovation.com. There we can also connect. If you have any feedback for me for the show, you can email me. Uh, the other thing you can do is uh, support us by giving us a rating on iTunes or on SoundCloud. Um, give us a star rating, give us whatever. Uh, just honest feedback because we want to make sure the show is as good as we can for you. Other than that, this is Don Wetrick reminding you again, the opportunities are everywhere. We'll see ya.